Morning Church and those online. Um, today's Bible reading comes from Galatians 3:26 to 4:7. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. So, folks, we have been, um, for those in the room, you will know that we're uh, doing a series on identity. For those who are joining us afresh, perhaps online, we're in week three of this series. And we're using Ephesians chapter one as some of the key aspects that help give us an understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. And uh, today, we come to um, the third part of our series, and we're looking at the subject of adoption. And uh, the key verse that uh, really sets us out is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, which I think will be up on the screen. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So that's the context for why we're talking about adoption today. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable in your sight, that your Holy Spirit would uh, continue to speak to us and lead us into truth and understanding. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, um, this whole subject of adoption is, uh, is a really fascinating subject. And... We did touch on this earlier in, um, in our uh, series, which we had an earlier series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so for those folks who would like to 
know a little bit more about the subject, if you go back into our podcast, you will find that um, we, we touched on that way back um, some months ago. But I want to, whenever I talk about this subject, and I have to confess, I have talked about it a number of times, and I probably will continue to talk about it a number of times. Because for me, this is not, and for my wife Joy and I, this is not just an academic sort of exercise. This is not just an interesting thing, a doctrinal thing to talk about. Um, it's mentioned a few times in the, in the New Testament. But um, adoption for Joy and I is something very real, because our two children are adopted. And there may be some folks who are watching us online or even in this room who have been adopted. And uh, so it moves from being sort of an interesting idea to something quite real and uh, something very personal. And it's very personal for Joy and I. And it's particularly personal because um, when you've actually been through this process, whether you've actually adopted someone or you have been adopted, it actually gives you a bit of a, a better understanding of what the Bible is talking about when he adopts us, God adopts us into his family. So the, the key question often comes up is, well, why is, does the Bible talk about adoption? And it's interesting, you know, that the, in the Old Testament, you, you never see that phrase used. And in fact, there was no... The, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and there was no, and there is no Hebrew word for adoption. It wasn't part of the culture, and the only time that you can find it, and I've done a little bit of research on this, is um, involving a uh, an Egyptian woman, the daughter of Pharaoh, who went down to uh, the river to uh, to bathe and heard the sound of a little baby. And uh, she found a baby, or her attendants found a baby, in some bulrushes. And uh, she found this baby, and she brought this baby up into the court of Pharaoh. The baby happened to be called Moses. So if you, uh, and so Moses was raised in the court of Pharaoh. But, but that was in the Egyptian culture. So there was no, um, it wasn't a, a typical thing that happened in the, in the Hebrew culture, but... In the time of the writing of the New Testament, the, the, the Roman Empire was alive and well and adoption was a significant thing that happened in the Roman culture. And so that's why Paul was tapping into it. But um, the reason why there needs to be an adoption is because if you like, back way back in the book of Genesis, and we haven't got time to go into it today, but there was, if you like, that was the original family breakdown. That was the original time where some relationships broke down and there was a dislocation in the original family between God and Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve chose to rebel and they tried to hide from God. And so that original, incredible, tight, beautiful um, family unit was broken up. And, and so there was a dislocation. And uh, the Bible then talks about two fathers. A heavenly father, who we've been talking about and singing to today, and another father, the father of lies that Jesus talked about. And there are only two fathers, and there are only two families. And the reality is that we are born into this world, and because of that original rebellion, we're born into the father of lies. And, and God 
to bring us into his family, he adopts us and rescues us out of the family of lies and takes us into his family. And this process is called adoption. And in the reading that Naomi read to us in Galatians chapter 4, we actually get a bit of an insight. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, we, re- we read this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so we were, we're in a situation where we were born under the law and we needed to be rescued from under the law. And so you may say, well, what's this law? Is it, what are we talking about here? Well, well it's, it was the law of Moses. It was the Ten Commandments, if you like, that, was, that were given by God to Moses. And, and those Ten Commandments in themselves are not bad. In fact, they are great. And the fact they haven't, the, the Ten Commandments haven't passed away. By the way, just in case you're wondering, the Ten Commandments haven't gone past their due date. Right? It's not as if we got to the end of the Old Testament and we can close the book on the Ten Commandments and you know, now everything goes and it's all free and easy. No, the Ten Commandments are still relevant today and still apply. But the problem is that the reason why we had to be redeemed from under the law was that the Ten Commandments are fantastic. But we in ourselves struggle to obey the Ten Commandments. And I, I, I could ask for a show of hands or a, a cyberspace show of hands. I don't know how you do that. But um, whether you've always obeyed the Ten Commandments in your whole life up to this point. Now, I can put my hand up and say, no, I have not. And I think I'm not the only one. That we, we know how we should behave we know what we should do. We know what our thought life should be. And by the way, folks, you may think one of the commandments was, you know, you know, don't commit adultery. And you think, oh, well, I haven't actually physically, you know, you might be feeling a bit smug today and you think, oh, well, I haven't physically, you know, committed adultery. I won't ask for a show of hands about that. But, um, but Jesus said, if you just think in your mind and if you have a desire for a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. So it's not just a physical act that can actually break the Ten Commandments is actually our thought life. And that's a little bit scary because if I was to use some sort of technology today and, and get a person's thought life and put it up on the screen there, it would be a little bit disconcerting if you had your thought life up there on the screen. So we've all in a situation where we've fallen short, we've, we, we can't live up to the Ten Commandments. And, and, and what the Bible promises is that at the set time, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So God has rescued us from the condemnation of the law. He's taken us out of the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And uh, we've been focusing a bit on the fact that our identity is in Christ. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, which was the first verse that um, Naomi read to us, we read this. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. And 
Remember, we've been saying that our identity is found in Christ. And in Christ means to be in relationship with Christ. And when you're in relationship with Christ, so if you're in Christ, if you're in a relationship with Christ, the Bible says we are all children of God through faith. So our identity as a child of God happens because we're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, when you've made a faith decision to follow Jesus, one of the incredible things that happens is that God adopts you out of another family and takes you into his family and you're a child of God. Not because you've done something special, but rather that God has done something incredible in your son Jesus. So that's why we need to be adopted. We need to be rescued from the being under the law and we need to be taken into a new family. And last time when I preached on the subject, I, I, and I won't do it again, but I did explain in the Roman customs what happened when a person was adopted. And I might have used as a test case um, our worship coordinator here, Callum, and I gave him, I said that hypothetically if I was to adopt Callum into my family, nothing wrong with Callum's family because I know Callum's brother's here today, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Hillier family per se, just in case you're wondering. But, I, if I, but I gave the example that I, I gave Callum a new name. I happened to call him, it was a spontaneous thing at the time, I just called him Richard, which um, that might stick, I don't know. But um, I'll leave it with you, Josh, you could try it out. But, um, but in the case, I won't go through it again, but in the Roman law, if, if someone was adopted into a family, they were given a new name, they were given a new status, they were given the same privileges as anyone else in the family. And, and any financial debts that they owed were paid. That's why it's a hypothetical example. Anyone, any financial debts that anyone had, they were paid and they became fully-fledged members of this family. And so adoption was an incredible thing. But the interesting thing is that in, the, in adoption, it doesn't have a lot to do with a person who's being adopted. It's actually because there's a decision made by the adoptive parents that they want to reach out and bring someone into their family. And it's basically because the parents have taken the initiative to add someone into their family. So my children were six months old and five months old when they came to Australia. And we saw photographs of them when they were 100 days old. So we, we applied, had to be assessed first of all, as being, you know, Appropriate parents. We got through that process. And then our file got sent overseas and we got this letter. And there was, opened it up and there was a photograph of a baby, um, 100 days old. And uh, um, we had to say yes or no, we're going to want to adopt that child. But it was an initiative of us. It didn't have much to do with a five-month-old baby in Korea. I'll say that not because... Joy and I are anything special, but we just chose to, on, to adopt. And so the adoption into God's family is all about an initiative of God, you see. See, God always takes the initiative. That's why last week we talked about the fact that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While God chose us in him. 
God takes the initiative and chooses us. We didn't choose him, he chose us initially. He made the decision that he wanted to save us and he wants to adopt us into his family. So God takes the initiative. We certainly need to respond to that, but it's always God taking the initiative. So adoption is an example of God's grace. God reaching out to us in his son Jesus, wanting to bring us into his family. So adoption is an act of grace. Something that God has done in Jesus Christ. And uh, one of my authors that I love to go to is a bloke called James Packer. And uh, James Packer um, has a quote. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's the highest privilege. There are other things that the gospel certainly um, brings. And one of the key things, what we call justification, that's an amazing thing. We're, we're declared right with God through the gospel. But there's a higher thing, folks. There's something more profound, something deeper than that. And it's a, it, an adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. That we could actually be called a son and daughter of God. Elsewhere the Bible says, see how great the love the Father has for us, that he has lavished it upon us, that we should be called children of God. God has lavished his love upon us. It's the highest privilege. And uh, I just want to make a comparison here that justification, which is a fundamental um, doctrine which we hold fast to, but I just want to put this quote up, that justification, if you like, is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law and views God as a judge. So we've, we've broken the law, we've been under the condemnation of the law and so in justification it's a forensic idea in conceived, conceived in terms of law and views God as judge. But if we move to what adoption is and the adoption it's a family idea. See? And it's conceived in terms of love. And it views God as Father. Can you see the difference? So, there's, so that's why Packer says that adoption, and we'll just leave that quite up there, thanks, that adoption is the highest privilege because it's actually a family idea conceived in terms of love and views God as Father. So it's an amazing thing and it's a transforming thing. And it's a powerful thing. And it's a work, and God does a work here by his Holy Spirit. So come with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, adoption is not just an interesting concept, but God actually does something incredible that his Holy Spirit comes into our life and the Bible says it comes into our hearts and the Spirit calls out Abba, Father. And that word there, calls out, is actually a cry. It's the same word that Jesus used when he cried out on the cross. It is finished. It's a deep, wrenching cry 
from the very innermost part of your being. And, and the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And so the, the concept of being a child of God is not just a concept, but it becomes a reality. And the Holy Spirit calls out from within us. And the phrase is, Abba, Father. And if you're watching online, can I just remind you that the word Abba is not a Swedish pop group in this context. Can I just tell you that? Nothing wrong with Abba, by the way. I look, I used to listen to Abba. Still occasionally do when it comes on cruise, cruise radio, but, um, which no one else younger than me listens to. But, um, but the word Abba here was an Aramaic word which was used in the family setting. It was an intimate family word. And so when we talk about God being our father, when we talk about adoption, Christianity then becomes something incredibly personal, something deep within us, that we're not just talking about some sort of benevolent force out there, but we're talking about God who is our father, who gives us the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Something really intimate. It's reinforced in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So folks, can I just say that if you're not sure that you're a child of God, Well, can I just remind you that the Bible promises that through faith in Christ we're a child of God. But can I also say to you that the Holy Spirit can testify within you, can give you that assurance that you're a child of God. And if you're not sure, ask the Holy Spirit to give you that again. That absolute assurance that you belong to him, that you're a child of God. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, a famous hymn that was written many years ago. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Well, we can know an assurance. Not because we sort of um, dig deep and try hard to be a better Christian. But no, we can know an absolute assurance that we're a child of God. We may not feel it like it some days. We might behave in ways which are really a little bit disappointing and we might muck up. But but we can know an assurance that God is our Heavenly Father and that he loves us and he's never going to let us go. And it's a deep assurance. It, 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 It survives the ups and downs of life. It survives our vagaries, our behavioural problems. It's something profound that we can know an absolute assurance that we belong to God. Because he loves us and he's adopted into his family. So, adoption is really the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit all working here. The Father, through his Son Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit, causes us to be children of God. And we can have this absolute assurance that we're his and he holds on to us. So what are the implications of this? What does it mean in a practical sense for us in a day by thing that, that we, one key aspect of our identity is that we're adopted into his family? Well, one, some of the implications are 
that if God is our Father and we're his children, then we become part of a new family. So we've been rescued from the father of lies and we've been taken into a new family. And so for those who are watching online, for those in the room, can I just remind you again that we've become part of a new family. And uh, we've got a connection that's profound. So if you've ever travelled and if you've ever gone to another Christian fellowship somewhere, whether it be overseas or, or whatever... It's an amazing connection that you make with people. You've never met them before, but there's something going on that's deep and profound, and it's because we're part of God's family. And an incredible thing, we never should take it for granted, that when, he, when he, God adopts us, he adopts us into his family. So Christianity is not a solitary thing, it's a family thing. Now sometimes we get on better with some of the family members than others. Dare I say it? I'm just putting it out there. But, but God has, in an incredible way, brought us into his family. And we see an expression of his family here today. And we become a member of that family by adoption. You know, uh, just recently, there's been some rather negative press about Qantas. Now, I used to do a lot of flying when I worked for government. And um, sometimes I travelled with... Um, with um, transport ministers to various conferences and meetings and uh, at airports there's a secret door which um, if you've got the right swipe card which I never did but if you have the right swipe card you can go up to this nondescript door and you, and you swipe it there's no sign on this door there's nothing to distinguish it you swipe it and it opens up and it goes into a thing called the chairman's lounge and there's been a bit of publicity about the chairman's lounge, the Qantas chairman's lounge. Um, and I was occasionally got in there because I was travelling with someone who was a member. And it's like going into a, another, like a, through a portal. It's like you go into a different world. There's silver service. There's, there's people who just come up to you and if they, if they find out you're a member, they, they, you end up getting your seat changed to 1A. I was 36C, but (laughs) the minister was 1A or 1B, because you got into the chairman's lounge. But to be a member of the chairman's lounge, you've got to say you can never, you can't pay money for it. You you, you don't. And a few people I travelled with were a little bit narked because they weren't members; they had to be invited in. And and the only way you can become a member is if the, uh, the the chairman or the CEO of Qantas invites you to be a member. And uh, it turns out that quite a few politicians are members. So it's just a, and certain actors and actresses are members. When I went into this portal, I saw all sorts of people there who I wouldn't normally see. But to get into the chairman's lounge, you could only do it because you, you were given membership by the board of Qantas. Can't pay your way in. Well, folks... As special as it was for me to occasionally get into the chairman's lounge, let me tell you, let me tell you, something that surpasses all of that is that we can be members of God's family. How good is that? And it happens because God adopts us and that's how we become members of his family because of adoption, which is a work of his grace, which he reaches out to us in his son Jesus and everyone's invited 
irrespective of how rich you are, irrespective of your status, irrespective of your age or your gender. It's a work of grace. And so the implications of being a child of God is that we're part of a new family. It's fantastic. And let me just give you one other implication. We do not need to worry. I just put it out there. I want to just go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 27. Because Jesus had just taught the people how to pray. And he gave the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, a few verses later, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now I'm just putting this out there because I think there may be some of us who occasionally worry. I just just saying it. I mean, it might be being a bit risky on my part, but I just reckon there may be some of us who occasionally get a bit worried about things. Can I just check whether there's anyone? Yeah, I can see a few nods. I sense there may be some people online who are nodding as well. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what will you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not much more than they? Are you much more than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now there's a profound statement. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour? In fact, it's probably the opposite. By worrying, you probably lose a few hours. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. How many of us worry about tomorrow? Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. And I say this because, folks, if we know that we're a child of God, if we know that we're secure in him, if we know that we've become the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then God is going to look after us. Like the Bible says, if you parents, if you parents being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I mean, parent, most parents, there are some exceptions, but most parents want to give good things for their kids. Most parents want to look after their kids. Well, that's just a shadow of the fact that our Heavenly Father loves us and wants to look after us and we can trust our lives into his care and we don't have to worry because we can cast all our cares and anxieties upon him because our Heavenly Father will look after us. And yet so often we take our eyes off that and we look inward and we worry about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to worry, what's going to happen tomorrow, what about our future. But no, God is a heavenly father who loves us. He's not going to let us go. He adopted us into his family and he cares for us. It completely can change your view of life when you realise that your heavenly father is looking after you. That we are secure in him. And the last thing I want to say about this, and I could say a lot more, but I'll just end with this. One of the things it means, if you're a child of God, is that you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. Do you know, I've met families, and there seems to be a, quite a large age gap between the second the youngest person in the family and the youngest. 
And uh, I heard, um, I was with one family one day and, and the, in, in, in view and, and the other, youngest child was in the room and uh, the father said, oh, little Johnny, yeah, he was a mistake. You know, and my heart just broke within me and I, and, I, and I was thinking about this and I want to say, folks, that no one is a mistake. No one's a mistake. Even if there's been a horrendous thing that's happened in the past and, and someone um, has come into this world through ways that we perhaps are not ideal, can I just tell you that before the foundation of the world, God planned for you and I to be adopted into his family and it doesn't matter what sort of background you've come from, God in his love and grace reaches out to us in his son Jesus and adopts us into his family and no one's a mistake. No one's a mistake. You know, I've, I've shared this message at lots of different places, in camps and um, in different preaching environments, and invariably I've had some good and bad reactions. And I was at one youth camp in the Mid-North, and I was talking about um, God being our Heavenly Father, and, it was prob- and there was a girl there about 17, and um, her, her boyfriend was a big bloke, big man. He was probably about 19, towered above me, and he came up to me after the message, and I've been talking about the privileges of being adopted, and he had this quite a large fist, I've got to say, and it was clenched. And he said, you say any more about this, or I'm going I'm to punch you. you know, and <laughs> because his girlfriend had had a horrendous upbringing, an abusive upbringing by her father, and he was so protective of her and so angry about what I was saying that he was really to punch me in. And some people have come from difficult earthly family relationships. I don't, I don't, I'm not dismissing that at all. But folks, can I tell you, just like no one's a mistake, it doesn't matter what sort of family relationship you've had in the past, God as our Heavenly Father can break through all of that. He can break through all of that and can give you a new revelation that he loves you. He loves you. We, we had a next door neighbour when we were first married and um, she became a Christian and uh, she would knock on our door at late at night and the first few times I thought oh, this must be something wrong something terrible going on but uh, no, she'd been reading her Bible and she couldn't understand something so she'd come next door and bang on our door and Mark, Mark, what does this mean? What's this about? And she, came, she went to a, a, a youth camp and um, the preacher was talking about the fatherhood of God and she had a terrible relationship with her father and something broke in her life and she realised that she was adopted as a child and it was brilliant. And so she left the camp and she went home. And she went up to her dad and gave him a great big hug because she realised, you see, that God was bigger than her earthly relationship with her father. He's our perfect heavenly father. And so she actually left and went and wanted to reconcile with her father. Interesting enough, her father couldn't cope with that. Went out and got drunk. Because he just couldn't cope with the fact that his daughter had suddenly, rather, sort of, seemed to have this huge change in their relationship. But, folks, God is bigger and greater than the deficiencies of our earthly relationships, and He wants to He wants to, us to know the security of His love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that Your Spirit, Your Spirit, might break into our lives. The spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. And Lord, 
You know our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you might do a work by your spirit in each of our hearts that we might come into this incredible highest privilege that the gospel offers of being a child of God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.